What's up, buddy? Welcome back to Martial Media Montage, episode 67. I'm going to be talking about Good Guys Wear Black, 1978, Chuck Norris, Burial Ground, 1981, Carnosaur, 1993, uh, Dungeon Master, also known as Rage War, 1984. And I'm going to be briefly talking about In Search of Darkness, a three-part documentary, recent pickups, and games. 17 seconds. That's because I added the years. And in the background, I got some lower-class brats playing because I think they deserve more credit, man. I mean, I'm sure probably punk enthusiasts know the band or uh, listeners of just music in general who have a wide variety and eclectic taste enjoy this band. But yeah, I'm going to be talking four films, a doc, recent pickups, and uh, what games I'm playing. And I even got a recent game that I picked up as well. But uh, here it is, episode 67. Let's go. Still listening to Lower Class Brats, Insult to Injury off of The Plot Sickens. I feel like I've tried before to uh, look up the full album and I can't find it. I'm just going to find songs from the album and just play them in and out of order, whatever. It doesn't bother me. For some reason, that album's not on Spotify. You know, they have, you know, what is it, a class of our own. They have uh, Rather Be Hated Than Ignored and then, you know, the new album and all that. So anyway, uh, before I get into Good Guys Wear Black, I'm going to be talking about uh, some recent things that I just thought were interesting. Uh, I got some quotes and uh, the intro is like a trippy acid rock background with like smooth jazz. I really dug it. To me, it reminded me of kind of like uh, early Black Sabbath album, um, their music videos, but obviously more or less uh, with jazz instead. Uh, a quote from the film, uh, the only certainty of intelligence is uncertainty. <laughs> uh, and then another quote, it was a female. She was talking she was like, I love choppers. They're a lot like birds. I shot a bird once, and I'm like, what? <laughs> it didn't make any sense. Another quote. Uh, oh, my God. It looks like the Chinese waiter that you see in movies. I bet the Chinese food here is something to remember. <laughs> so ridiculous, man. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. That's funny. All right. Now, uh, lower class brats, airwave raid. I got to find another uh, lower class brats. There we go. Found one. Hell, yeah. Okay. Okay, 1978's Good Guys Wear Black. Hour and 35 minutes, Chuck Norris. I have the DVD, so I watched it that way. I watched it on my Xbox 360 as a DVD player. I have a Blu-ray player, but it's uh, stored away in a box uh, somewhere in the garage. I got to find it. Uh, it has a 5 out of 3,500 reviews, and it's loosely based on an ex-army commando who must find the reason why his comrades from his unit are being systematically murdered before he is next. Directed by Ted Post, known for Dirty Harry's Magnum Force. Beneath the Planet of the Apes, he also did. I have a Planet of the Apes, uh, the entirety of the original like 60s and 70s films, you know, with Charlton Heston in the first film. I've only seen, I think, maybe the first one, if not maybe the first two. There's like five or six of them. I just never got around to watching them. I will. I Eventually, I just, I'd have to look through my uh, DVDs. Uh, he also did uh, Eastwood's uh, Hang Em High, which is arguably another great you know, spaghetti Western that he did within his uh, franchise of Westerns. And that bizarre film in 1973 called The Baby. That movie's incredibly strange. I saw it before I started doing episodes. Like I said, I mean, I, I can easily go back and talk about films that I've already watched. I'm just trying to talk about films that I most recently watched or games I most recently played because there's definitely a handful of games that I remember playing and beating and having toys as a kid and all that. But uh, I'm just trying to do more recent stuff. Uh, the film is about a baby who acts like, or excuse me, it's about an adult who acts like a child, and he and uh, his like mother and then the uh, caretakers just have a bizarre relationship. It's such a weird fucking movie. Highly worth a watch. 
for those of you that are just interested in just bizarre films. Okay, back to good guys wear black. The tagline is uh, John T. Booker and Booker is fighting back. To me, that's a little lame, but whatever. <laughs> Trivially, when Chuck was offered the lead role, he was in the process of establishing a new kickboxing league in Los Angeles. Uh, Norris cites that his decision to pursue the movie over the league was a defining point in his transition from martial arts into acting. So that's pretty cool. So I guess this is his first film is what it sounds like. Uh, this is also his first film, trivially, as a Vietnam vet, which would later be the basis for the Missing in Action film that he did. In Expendables 2, 2012, he also played as Booker. Released June 1978, filmed in Moreno Valley, California, not too far from me, maybe about 45 minutes north, uh, at a raceway. <clears throat> its budget was $1 million and it, the flat gross, uh, I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, let's see what Wiki has to say. This is Norris's second film, actually. Uh, first being Breaker Breaker, a year prior, but he considers this his breakthrough role. So he views it more or less as his first film. This film launched Norris as the first American martial arts star, having been known as the villain in Way of the Dragon in 1972. Let me uh, change it. There we go. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, yeah. Good old fucking classic lower class brats. Anyway, production wise, he is known, or excuse me, he he knew he wanted a story that featured karate scenes, not just the other way around, like most Bruce Lee films, as he states. His pitch to his producer was there are four million karate enthusiasts in America. They know me who I am. If half of them go to the movie, that's a six million dollar gross on a one million dollar budget. And the producer said, Well, that sounds good to me. Let's do it. So, hey, it worked for him. Uh, the film had distribution trouble, so producers did it themselves. They rented theaters and cities for a flat fee, uh, pocketing box office receipts, and critics panned it, but public uh, persona... Uh, I can't even fucking speak English. Five minutes and 20 seconds. <laughs> the public persona loved it. The movie grossed $18 million, and Chuck did 2,000 interviews in a year about the film, and due to the frequency of his talks... He had to go to the hospital for laryngitis because he lost his voice. It's crazy. Uh, lastly, longtime friend Steve McQueen had this to say about it. In Good Guys Wear Black, you talk too much. A little too much dialogue. Let the characters lay out the plot. Then when something important comes up, say it and people will listen. You will get better as an actor. I know it. You should have seen me in The Blob. And <laughs> That's awesome. The old 50s film The Blob is awesome. That's cool that he and Steve McQueen were friends too. But uh, there you have it. Good guys wear black. Uh, you know, it's it's corny, but it's cool in its own right. I mean, he has like super, super like surfer blonde hair in it, too. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's cool. I, I would recommend watching it. All right. On to the next film. All right. Burial Ground, 1981, also known as the Knights of Terror, also known as Zombie 3. But before that, I'm going to play more lower class brats off of the plot sickens. Molotov. Love this song. It's just such a anarchistic DIY like punk song. But before I get into Burial Ground, I'm going to be talking about some things that I noticed. It's, it's free on YouTube. Um, there's an old man in a cave and his quote is, don't hurt me. I'm your friend. <laughs> And he gets hurt by the zombies. It's great. Uh, <laughs> cue the cards for the Knights of Terror. Then basically an announcer that sounds like Dave 
or excuse me, there's a sequence with the credits that sounds like Dave Brubeck's uh, Take 5. Classic, classic jazz sequence. There's also a weird, bizarre sequence at the end where a zombified 25-year-old uh, younger... Uh, well, okay, I'll, I'll get into that momentarily. So there's a 25-year-old kid who's basically portraying a 10-year-old young boy. He bites his mother's nipple off, and then she dies. It's like a rubber, I don't know, prosthetic that they put over her boob, and she was like so just totally disgusted with the whole sequence and didn't even want to do it. But no one survived. Everyone dies at the end. But anyway, that's that's what I got from this film. There's a lot of zombie walking. Anyway, let me get into uh, IMDb and Wikipedia as I usually do. YouTube... Uh, it's free, 1981. It's unrated. It's an hour and 25 minutes. has a 5.6 out of 5.9 thousand, basically 6,000. For a blatant uh, Fulci zombie ripoff, it, it was decent. A little too much exposition. A lot of walking, as I stated, for the zombies in regards to uh, the cinematography is concerned. They were just shooting that mostly. No one survives, which is pretty cool. You don't really see that too often, I feel like, in horror films. It was decent. My favorites, personally, as far as zombie films, are still... Stir, nice, going on two minutes, can't fucking speak English, are still Return of the Living Dead 1 and 2. I don't feel like 2 gets enough praise. The first one is still better, but 2 is still a lot of fun as well. Uh, The Dawn and the Day of the Dead series as well, personally. Those are my uh, four, I guess, favorites. The plot is that of uh, an archaeology professor discovers an ancient crypt which contains living dead corpses. The zombies go on a rampage and attack people which the professor had invited everybody to celebrate his discovery. Directed by Andrea Bianchi, or Bianchi, I'm not quite sure. It's Italian. Known best for his uh, film in 75 called Strip Nude for Your Killer. I believe I have that on my watch list, just haven't seen it yet. Uh, The tagline is, The earth shall tremble, graves shall open. They shall come among the living as messengers of death, and they shall be the knights of terror. Prophecy of the uh, Black Spider. And they spelled prophecy wrong. They wrote it with an F. So that's a little ridiculous, but whatever. It's Italian filming, you know, at its best, right? I'm trying to find more uh, lower-class brats here. Especially after the plot sickens and I can't find anything. What the heck? I don't want to listen to that again. I guess I'll just listen to random uh, lower-class brats songs. How about that? This is off a rate rather than uh, be hated than ignored. Ultraviolence. Okay. Back to the, uh, the film. Trivially, the workshop set near the end, is also used in uh, Dario Argento's Inferno, Margaretti's Cannibal Apocalypse, and Luigi Cozzi's Contamination. That's pretty cool that they all got together and they were like, you know what, just go ahead and use it for your film. You know, that they each managed to share the same set. One of the zombies is actually wearing a Boris Karloff uh, prosthetic mask, uh, like the Frankenstein's monster, with more gore to obscure the face, therefore to avoid copyright infringement. And it was actually shot in a real castle in four weeks. According to Wikipedia, known as the Knights of Terror, Zombie Horror, and the Zombie Dead. Also released under the title Zombie 3 to capitalize on Fulci's success with his film Zombie 2. Yeah, it's a fucking mouthful. I'm just going to continue to call it Burial Ground because that's what I saw it as. And then, like I said, the cue card for the title said, uh, what did it say? It just said uh, Knights of Terror. Oh, boy. Uh, the large portion of the budget was actually used on the effects. A big surprise by Gino De Rossi and Rosario Prestopino. The proposed young boy, as I stated, was 25-year-old Peter Bark to circumvent Italian law-restricting uh, children's in scenes with violence and sex in Italy. That's crazy. And then ultimately he was involved <laughs> as a 25-year-old kid pretending to be a 10-year-old kid with a lot of violence and nudity and so forth. But whatever. 
<clears throat> it was granted a limited release in the States in 1985. It grossed 544... Going on five minutes. There it is. There's your fucking third one. Uh, can't fucking speak English. It grossed $542,000, also released in the UK on VHS by Apex in 1986 as Knights of Terror, with 13 minutes of distributor cuts. Later in the UK in 2002, under the title Zombie Dead. Released in the US on DVD in 2006, it's also available uh, as a triple feature with uh, the Zombie Pack Volume 2 with uh, Flesh Eater and Zombie Holocaust. And then in 2011, it released Blu-ray. Wow, a long road to feature this film. That's crazy. Addicted to oi, lower class brats, rather be hated than ignored. I'm going to go with that now. Uh, it is often dismissed as a cheap clone to Zombie 2, but the film improves that film's strong points. And it's basically just an extension of that. That's kind of how I viewed it. Uh, as stated by critic Peter Dendel is what he had to say about it. Uh, I, I ultimately enjoyed it. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. It's just one of those typical Italian zombie trope type films. And it works. It's corny, but it's also cool in its own regard. There's plenty of gore, weird exposition, and just... Yeah, it was a good time. All right, on to the next film. All right, still got lower class brats on. Rather be hated than ignored. The album Addicted to Oi. And I'm going to be talking to you guys about Carnosaur 1993. Free on YouTube, rated R. I had uh, heard about this one mentioned to me from a was it Horror Movie Night podcast. And I'm not trying to go off the, uh, you know, shoulder or the back from them in regards to like oh they talked about it so i want to talk about it it just it just sounded intriguing to me the way that they discussed uh carnosaur as well as burial ground uh, i've been going back and listening to a lot of their old podcasts they've been podcasting for a long time and this episode i'm not trying to do just horror but i happened to hear burial ground and carnosaur and i was like i'm gonna watch those and i'm gonna talk about them but uh the next film after this is not strictly just horror but anyway Carnosaur, 1993, hour and 23 minutes, has a 3.6 out of 4.2 thousand, labeled as horror sci-fi. The plot is, a genetically manipulated dinosaur escapes from a bioengineer company and wreaks havoc on a desert town. A security guard and a girl environmentalist try to stop it and the doomsday bioweapon. The tagline is, driven to extinction, back for revenge. Classic, classic, that's all you need, just a really quick little sentence, you know, for a bad film that... I enjoyed more or less. It's it's bad, but it's enjoyable in its own regard. All right, more lower class brats. Here we go. Safety pinned and sick. The song, and of course there's an ad. Let me. There we go. All right. Uh, <clears throat> trivially, Diane Ladd, Laura Dern's mother, appears in the film, who she happens to be also in Jurassic Park, the same year, 1993. Not Diane Ladd, but Laura Dern is. Yeah, I really enjoy Laura Dern in like what is it, Blue Velvet and um, no, not no, not Blue Velvet. My bad. Uh, Wild at Heart, which is a David Lynch film, who also did Blue Velvet. But anyway, uh, the film was meant to compete with Jurassic Park, and the film's budget was only one million dollars, uh, according to IMDb. But I, I think on Wikipedia it says it's eight hundred fifty thousand. Uh, reducing the dinosaurs' exposure, Corman assured the the director he was free to write whatever he needed to, and any modifications would be uh, made in the final draft. The screenplay by Bosnan, who wrote the uh, original novel in 84, was heavily – his uh, screenplay was heavily revised, whereas his credit was reduced to just the original story. That's kind of sad. Uh, the budget here states 850000 and shooting took place, principal photography, in only 18 days. That's pretty quick. Uh, the T-Rex was a miniature puppet, 
and a man in a 16-foot-tall robot. A few shots with the robot, uh, limited mobility uh, prevented that, um, you know, I guess to be used. <clears throat> Most shots were uh, remote control or utilized with puppets. Diane Ladd, Laura Dern's mom, only worked five days on the set, so 13 more days were used to finish the film. Roger Ebert gave it the worst film label of 1993, but get this, Gene Siskel uh, gave it positive reviews. The T-Rex skin took five weeks to make, and the body count was 32 people overall. That's a lot. According to Wikipedia, it's loosely based on the 84 novel by John Bosnan, as I stated. Corman acquired the rights in 1991. The project entered production two years later on the extensive marketing campaign to capitalize and promote Jurassic Park. Released May 14, 1993 in Ogden, Utah, it grossed $1.8 million and it has a cult following now labeled as a quote-unquote mockbuster. Special effects designed by John Carl Buckler, Buechler, I'm not quite sure, who also did uh, another film that I'm going to be talking to you guys about after this, momentarily. Uh, Corman felt stop-motion techniques would interfere with uh, filming and all creatures were rendered as real-time models. A system of hinges and cables were used to operate the uh, creature and radio-operated eyes. It took seven weeks to sculpt a puppet and the effects team had three weeks to construct a T-Rex model. The uh, seven weeks was used for a Velociraptor model. They only had two uh, creatures in the entire film. It was reminiscent of B-movie T-Rex films from the 50s. It was made of sheets of uh, polyurethane for the innards and covered in foam on the outside. It was 16 feet tall, 25 feet long, and weighed 450 pounds. That's fucking a lot. Uh, Buckler commented on his final fight scene with the uh, tractor. It was modeled and shot like the finale of the original Alien by uh, Ridley Scott. So shout out to Alien. In some regard, Force Perspective was used and only a few made it into the final cut premiered a month earlier than Jurassic Park, and there is a DVD collection with all three films made in 2001. There's Carnosaur 1, 2, and 3. They all have, like, little names after the fact, 2 and 3. I just didn't bother to add it. Rotten Tomatoes, 11% on 9 reviews. I'm not surprised. And the effects are poor but enjoyable, labeled as the other dinosaur film of its time. Uh, yeah, I mean, if there were, like, just a 20-minute cut of just all the uh, carnage with the uh, dinosaurs, that would be much better. But, you know, to sit through an hour and 20, it's mostly exposition in the film that just really doesn't need to be in the film, in my opinion. But, you know, it is what it is. So there you have it. Uh, Carnosaur 1993. It's free on YouTube if you want to watch it. By all means, go out there and watch it. All right, Lower Class Brats still, rather be hated than ignored. The album, the song is background music. And, well, it's fitting because it's in the background, right? <laughs> I'm going to be talking to you guys about Dungeon Master. It's free on Tubi. I had some issues with it, though. It's only an hour and 18 minutes, but, like, sometimes it would play and then it would just go black. And I would hear everything still. I just didn't see anything, so I had to unplug my phone a couple times, hook it back up to the HDMI. I don't know why it did that, but anyway, I don't know if it's just the film or if Tubi was experiencing technical difficulties, I'm not sure. Released in 1984, its original title was Rage War. It's PG-13, and it's an hour and 13 minutes. Uh, even when it starts, it says Rage War, which I thought was pretty funny. I definitely LOL'd. Uh, the tagline is, The Overlord of Strange Beasts and Stolen Souls. And to me, that that's just the right amount, like, to get your point across. You need just a little bit of information. You don't need, like, a fucking paragraph for a tagline. Personally, that's just me. It's reminiscent of the Sinbad films in my uh, perspective, like Golden Voyage of Sinbad, Seventh Voyage of Sinbad by uh, Ray Harryhausen. It features stop motion, 
there's like a giant uh, stone statue in a canyon with like this fiery, I don't know, like, uh, I guess stone on its head, I guess, if you will, or a gem, a ruby. Yeah, I, I would say a ruby because it's red and, you know, he shoots fire from it. And then uh, Paul uh, Jeffrey Byron, uh, the main protagonist, he's like shooting him with like some sort of like Mega Man arm, you know, meets like <laughs> Metroid Samus Aran's capabilities. It's it's really cool. Uh, there's weird zombie trolls in this, like lighting effects that are really cool, a cave monster, uh, ice uh, cave sequence, and lasers. I, I enjoyed this sci-fi adventure film. It, it's really corny, but it's enjoyable. It has a 4.4 out of 2.5 thousand. The story is a demonic wizard challenges a modern-day computer programmer to a battle of tech versus sorcery uh, with the programmer's girlfriend as a prize. I believe the sorcerer was the uh, dad who plays the vampire when they go to the Halloween party in Hocus Pocus, if I'm not mistaken. I didn't catch his name. Uh, directed by effects whiz John Carl Buckler, again, who also did Carnosaur 93. Charles Band and David Allen, as well as many other directors. It's like a seventh or a seven segment um, anthology type film. And at the end, there's actually a really cool sequence where they, you know, go over each little segment that was involved with the film. They're like written and directed by, you know, so-and-so. And it was really cool to see that. Uh, David Allen is known for the howling in 81 with Joe Dante and Willow in 88 with, uh, Oh my God. I can't even think of his fucking name right now. What the hell? Oh my God. <laughs> That's going to bug the shit out of me. What? What? I can't think of his fucking name. Val Kilmer. Jeez, I kept wanting to say like V something. I was, I'm was. So, i sorry for the radio silence. It bugged the shit out of me. I had to look it up. I was like, oh my God. Uh, Willow featured Val Kilmer. That's all I was trying to do. Holy crap. Wow, I suck. <laughs> I was like, he was Jim Morrison in the doors. I'm like, what's his name? I couldn't think of his fucking name for some reason. Uh, Charles Band also worked on The Puppet Master and Trancers. Uh, Puppet Master 89, obviously Transfer is uh, 84. Uh, John Buckler did the makeups for Reanimator uh, 85 and Friday the 13th Part 7 New Blood as well as From Beyond in 86. Uh, Reanimator and From Beyond are by Stuart Gordon, but that's pretty cool that he was involved with this too. It sounds like they were just honestly just having a good time, just making something up you know, on the spot and just going with it. The film had some great uh, names involved. It deserves more praise they, it sounds like I stated they were just having fun. It has basic horror elements here and there, but it, it's overall like a uh, Death Stalker or Ice Pirates kind of film. Alan was uh, involved with the Stone Giant sequence. Uh, Band did the heavy metal Charles Band. Uh, he worked with uh, the Wasp, the Tormentor song on that. And uh, Buckler did the uh, Demons of the Dead sequence, which makes a lot of sense because he's really good with his effects. Trivially, Paul's line... I reject your reality and substitute my own was used by Adam Savage on the Mythbusters. <clears throat> when released in the US, it was changed to Dungeon Master due to the D&D popularity, Dungeons and Dragons. Pretty cool. The heavy metal segment was revised uh, 2 years later or not revised, excuse me. Reused 2 years later in 1986's uh, Terror Vision, the Wasp song Tormentor as I stated. According to Wikipedia, it has other titles, like I stated, uh, Rage War, The Challenges of Excalibrate, and Digital Knights. Digital Knights would have been kind of cool because it does have those, like, 
uh, Last Starfighter um, kind of elements to it in regards to, uh, you know, tech versus sorcery. Uh, it was heavily influenced by Disney's 1982's uh, Tron, and a sequel was actually shot and edited in 1988, four years later, but never completed, sadly. A Scream Factor released in October 2013 with Contamination 7, Catacombs, and a film I already reviewed on this uh, channel, Cellar Dweller with Jeffrey Combs. Also a Blu-ray double feature with Elimination, or excuse me, Eliminator in December of 2015. In pop culture, the film is also referenced on the 11th episode of Sword Art Online Abridged. So, I mean, that's that's pretty cool that, you know, it gets, it gets recognized, but not necessarily enough in my opinion. But there you have it. It's free on Tubi. I'm sure there's other means of watching it as well. Go watch it. All right, closing out this episode with Lower Class Brats, Rather Be Hated Than Ignored, Do It Again, this song. Uh, I'm briefly going to touch up on uh, In Search of Darkness 2019 to 2022. It is a three-part documentary. Production started as a Kickstarter campaign in 2018, and the project met its goal in two days. <clears throat> I definitely don't want to hear. We'll go with a different Lower Class Brats. And apparently I got to sit through this ad. Fuck it. All right. Uh, the... <laughs> I'm just free-balling it. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes gives it a 94%, a 7.5 out of 10. Forbes uh, calls it a scary good magnum opus, and that's that's perfect. Part 3 is the conclusion to the documentary. It features a star-studded cast and an overall in-depth evolution of the genre's uh, whole, as well as sub-genres and directors, you know, sci-fi and body horror, uh, uh, I guess, what, paranormal? Um, anyway... Uh, directors, special effects, uh, actors, it has everything. And it even discusses foreign horror as well. And it even spouts out films that I've never heard of until now. It's the definitive horror Bible in my perspective, that of like the Cimmerillion by J.R.R. Tolkien, which is the Elvish Bible. Back to this. <laughs> it is worth the 15 to 18 hour watch. It's long, but it's worth it for those of you that are horror enthusiasts and buffs. It's very, very informative and just wonderful. Uh, as of late, um, since I beat Child of Light, I've just been playing Rage on Xbox 360. It's basically like Red Dead Redemption. Uh, hang on a sec. Fuck. Man, that was ridiculous. It's basically just like Red Dead Redemption, but uh, like with a post-apocalyptic world. Uh, I have the Platinum Hits uh, version right here, and it says on the cover from the creators of Doom and Quake, rated Mature, 17+. plus. You know, it's done by, uh, what, Bethesda and uh, Zenimax, as well as uh, id or ID Productions, whatever you want to call it. Rated M for blood and gore, intense violence, and strong language. It's it's linear, but it's open world at the same time. There's a lot of uh, really intuitive controls. It's like Mad Max meets like Redemption, or Red Dead Redemption. Explosive first-person gunplay, insane third-person vehicular mayhem. It, it, it's a lot of nonstop action. It's fun. It's linear in regards to like, hey, here's your mission. Go do it. And then you can go uh, traverse the uh, open world if you choose to, you know, and uh, blow up vehicles, uh, infiltrate uh, like caverns and all that and kill people and basically uh, rummage them for their uh, money and goods and all that. And you can sell that. And it, it's a lot of fun. I, I'm i glad I have it. I'm glad I finally decided to pick it up and play it. I wanted to play something a little different than just JRPGs all the time. It's not that I don't want to play more JRPGs. I was just like, dude, I need a break. I was like, those things are a fucking commitment, especially with modern ones usually being 40 hours plus. That's why I like to play older JRPGs because they're usually about 20 or 30, a little shorter. But this game, I think, is anywhere between maybe like 
10 to 15 hours to beat. I'm a couple hours into it, and uh, I, I'm having a lot of fun with it. it. It's a winner of more than 20 E3 awards of the era. I believe it came out in 2011, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, recently, I picked up a giant uh, Mikey Ninja Turtles for, I believe, $24 at uh, Walmart. It's, you know, done by Playmates, just like the giant Leonardo that I have. I'm very fucking happy to have it. I'm just missing Raphael and Donatello. I was talking to a guy at Walmart about it, and he was like, oh, yeah, we used to have Ralph. I didn't bother collect or collecting him. Fuck, I didn't bother correcting him. Can't speak English. Uh, I thought it was kind of funny that he said Ralph. I'm like, it's Raphael, but I didn't say anything. And, uh, you know, those two were my favorite, Raphael and Donatello. Donatello in the games, and personally, I just have always loved Raphael. I always felt like I kind of synced up with his uh, persona. Uh, recently, I also picked up uh, the sequel to uh, Kingdom Battle, the Mario and Rabbids game. I picked up Sparks of Hope because it was cheap, dude. It's only like 29 30 bucks now. You know, and it hasn't been out for very long, but it looks like they've improved the uh, gameplay comparative to the first one. Um, I haven't started it yet. I definitely want to. And that's a RTS, more or less a quote-unquote similar JRPG, but just it's fun and quirky, you know, batshit crazy dialogue, but just intuitive, fun gameplay. Uh, similar to the first is what it looks like. It it got a nine it, and it was labeled as amazing according to IGN. And I was like, dude, I got to play this because I loved the first one. So there you have it. There's this episode 67, recent pickups, gaming, movies. As always, thank you for the love and support. Uh, I will catch you guys next time. Mm-hmm.